Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. Um, I promised you at the end of my little rambling monologue speech, shouting into the ether, self-indulgent pods that I do after each uh, defeat or win. I shouldn't say defeat. God, that's very glass empty. Not even half empty, isn't it? Um, I promised you that we'd have a good guest this week. And uh, weirdly enough, I believe this is the first time I've had him on uh, on Rule the Roost, given that he is a, a long-time collaborator of mine. It's Mr. Billy T. How are you doing, mate? Welcome to... Yeah, is, is it the first time I've, I've had it's him? It's the on? very first time. Yeah, I've been listening since uh, all since the early days, since the first days of the podcast, man. Uh, obviously, we've known each other for ages. We've done a lot of stuff together. So, yeah, it's an honour to finally be on. But I chose a pretty, uh, pretty god-awful time to come. But, you know, got to face these things, haven't we? Well, I think this is good because, you know, as I was saying to you yesterday on WhatsApp, I was like, mate, can you please just come on and just call me an idiot and, you know, make this not a, uh, I don't know, a slog, if you like, because it's it's not been good the past couple of games, has it? Um, yeah, and I was kind of thinking of things to, like, contextualise the, the like, Man United performance and, like, contextualise Arsenal being top of the league and stuff like that. And then we went and lost to Newcastle and all that's gone out the window. So <laughs> it's uh, doom and gloom from here on in. Um, uh, mate, where do we even start with that Newcastle game, honestly? Because that, that to me, is, like, that's the nadir of Nuno, that that performance. that I mean, In terms of, like, it's not even, like, a comment on Conte as such, like, all of it. The players, their lack of kind of desire, the lack of fight there, and I get that they're tired. I do, I do think that's a moving piece to this, um, and I think we we probably need to include the fact that there's, I would imagine, an element of kind of grieving at the club after the sort of the passing of Ventroni. So we shouldn't just, you know, I was kind of called out for that the other day on Twitter, and I thought, fair enough, you know, we can't just brush something like that under the carpet. Um, but it's still, it felt, I don't know. It, Correct me if I'm wrong, mate, but it felt a bit different yesterday. It felt a bit, just a bit broken, like something wasn't quite right about it all. Yeah, and I think like the the, the worry for me is is stuff we've all seen before over the last five years, maybe since the end of the like Pochino tenure, and it's kind of like the same. You know, I can hack losing. We can all hack losing a game in Premier League football. It happens all the time. Man City lost last week, and that's fine. It happens all the time. But what I, I don't, we have these games where we can't string like five yard pass together. And like, I, I, that's the stuff that I can't hack as a fan. Like these footballers turn into like, they just melt. They melt into like the the atmosphere and they sort of, they don't turn up and they don't show up. And you get like our defenders booting the ball out and passing straight to a Newcastle player. Um, I know something which will come up a lot today, I'm sure, is like our captain and our goalkeeper. He sort of sets the tone, I think, with that sometimes. Um, I know we'll probably d- dive deep into this a bit later, but 
sometimes you can kind of tell within Tottenham within like the first 10, 15 minutes what kind of game they're going to have. And I thought we did all right at the beginning of the game against Newcastle. But then sometimes what kind of happens is Hugo like drops a clanger. And then from that moment on, it kind of, that's it then for the rest of the team. Like the defence start getting shaky. They start kicking the ball into touch. Hugo himself starts punting balls into like long balls into Sessegnon or Son or something like that. And it kind of sets the tone. And the worrying thing for me is we've seen these players make these mistakes for the last five years and nothing seems to have changed in that department. Um, I hope that it's just a blip and we'll get over it in the next game. But the worrying thing for me is we've seen this happen so many times before over the last five years. Are you? Uh, let's dive in on, on Lloris, mate. Because where are you at with him, mate? Because I'm, you know, this is the thing. I don't want any of this stuff to come across as knee-jerk because... You know, I've, I've put out sort of long and impassioned kind of defences of Lloris, his importance to the club, his his servitude to the club, everything that he's done, basically, in our shirt. But I, I'm not going to lie, man. I am starting to get that worry that is getting close to the kind of thanks to the memories, but it's time to say goodbye banner. Do you know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah, and I think... I think like even, so he, I, I don't think we're like knee-jerking to say we need to get rid of him in the next game, start Fraser Force or anything like that. But I just think we start <laughs> need to have in the conversation of what's next because um, he is still a fantastic goalkeeper. Like that Man United game, he was making some of the best saves he's made of his career. Um, there is a great, great goalkeeper in there. But even if he wasn't making the mistakes that he's making and even if he was you know, still playing at that level, just going by his age, we need to start a succession plan which we haven't really started to even think about yet. So I think coupled with the mistakes that he's making, it's got to be a conversation soon. Something has got to start getting into place of what we're going to do next. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a simple thing to say. We need to get rid of him this season, at the end of the season. I just think we need to start having the conversation what do we do next. Because the thing is, it's like, it is an expensive job to get rid of him, right? In, in, to replace him. I mean, like, it's... It, it... You surely are going for all right. He's not. I mean, in my opinion, like he was probably the best he's ever been for us last season. But was that like a bit of a swan song or something? I don't know because it feels like I was. I was sort of saying in the uh, in the little solo pod thing, we can look at performances like the Man United performance, him pulling off sort of worldy save after worldy save. But Larissa's has always been able to do that, man. And I'm not. I'm not devaluing that. You know, he's got the reflexes of a cat. He's unbelievable at that. Like the Luke Shaw volley, sort of, I think it was Rashford who had a chance, a sort of one-on-one -on -one chance, and he was out full stretch and just sort of got that snapshot. But Lloris will still, he'll, it's just, it's these like lapses, obviously his distribution, but it's the lapses in concentration and stuff like that that seem to be, I don't know, they're almost like weekly at the moment, right? And it's it's, it's sort of come back with a bang after after that Brighton arm injury and everything like that when he was probably at his worst at that point in that sort of 2019 season. And I think the thing for me is it's, it's costing us dearly at the moment um, because in the Arsenal game, we were 1-1. We were, you know, you could argue that we were on top of the game at that point and then he sort of drops a clanger and they go on to win 3-1. Yesterday, I thought we were on top of Newcastle until he dropped that mistake. And again, that cost us, ended up costing us the game. Um, but I do think the job of replacing Hugo Lise is going to be inc incredibly, incredibly difficult. Like we've had a world-class goalkeeper for mm. 10 years and it's not going to happen. That's not going to happen again. So I just think we have to sort of prioritise what do we want in a goalkeeper next? Do we want someone that can play out from the back and really comfortable with their feet? Um, do we want someone who's, you know, an, an incredible shot stopper like Hugo Lloris? Um, because we're not, you know, we're not going to be able to drop the money or drop the sort of, have the prestige to go and buy someone who can do all of those things. Like, you know, like, 
like the top, the very, very top tier of goalkeeper in the world. Um, there are very few available that are anywhere near sort of Hugo's level in the first place. So I think we're going to see a drop off in the performance of goalkeepers because we're replacing one of the best goalkeepers to ever grace the, ever grace the Premier League. But I just thought we'd have to be smart about what, do, what does, if we're going to, you know, again, this is probably something that will come up in a minute. If we're going to stick with Antonio Conte for the next few years, what kind of goalkeeper fits the system best? Because the way that we're playing at the moment, I don't think this current version of Hugo Lloris is working with the system because it's inviting a lot of pressure um, and the mistakes are costing us dearly in big games at big moments, which is, which is sad really, because he is, an incredible, incredible servant for our club. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a very, very hard job to replace him. But like I was saying, I do think maybe the conversation is sort of needed now. I mean, this is the thing that's quite mad. Like, you you touch on there, and it's true, is... Because I've seen already, you know, and this is... People can do this, and I, I understand it. Like, I'm not here to sort of police anybody's kind of... We all have knee-jerk reactions to stuff, right? And I've seen, obviously, the the first point of call for this kind of thing is... Oh, you know, bloody Enoch. They haven't bought a new goalkeeper when we should have done blah, 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 blah. But I mean, on that sort of side of things, I'm like, well, genuinely though, who who have who do we replace Lurie with? Like in, in terms of in the past few years, it's I don't think it's it's in any way going to be even now, like you say there, Bill, like an easy job to replace you, Lloris. You are talking like yeah, if you if you want to get a better keeper than him. Well, who are we talking? Are we talking to Allison? Are we talking to Edison? Because we ain't gonna be able to buy keepers like that. And I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure there's people that do a lot more scouting stuff than I do, which is zero. <laughs> but the, they're gonna say, well, there's this guy in the Bundesliga or something like that. Great, fine, that's 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 good. But I think we can all admit though, they will still be an unproven quantity. You know, they will still be, what we will be signing will still always be a gamble. We can have as much data in place to suggest that a player will potentially be very good and they are performing at a certain level in a league outside of the Premier League, which, again, let's not pretend that that means nothing. You know, I'm not, I'm not going all like Nigel Farage about this. Just we know the Premier League is a supremely competitive, high-intensity football league, right? So if we're not signing, like, say, or Black, who we were linked to, who, who what you'd imagine, what was his release cause? I think 100 mil or something like that. Yeah, around, something like that. Yeah. Around that figure. If we're not spending that amount of money, then we are looking to sign somebody. I know it's not to say it can't happen. Look, I mean, Southampton has signed that. To be fair, he's they've signed him from City's Academy, that the young Irish keeper. Um, I can't remember his name, but he looks unbelievable. So it's not to say that it can't happen, but there is going to be a period of uncertainty and it, it is going to be difficult, but it does feel like it's something that we got to maybe start getting in uh, in place now, right? Um, it, I mean, we've we've had a lot. I mean, this, this is a more uncomfortable com- conversation to have about Hugo Lloris. And it's something that was raised to me by, I, I won't name them just in case they don't want to get any flack, but I was, I was chatting to a pal, on WhatsApp, and they were saying not in not as a definitive thing, but we talk about like you were saying there, Bill. Like over the past few years at Spurs, we've seen various different managers, and we there's that common trend of when things aren't going our way, heads drop, and the players just don't look like they're they're up for it. There's there's just some unknown quantity there where. It just it doesn't matter if it's Conte, like we saw yesterday. It doesn't matter if it's Mourinho. It doesn't matter if it's Nuno or even Poch in his last season. Sometimes the players, when they're gone from a game, they're just gone. 
does any of that lie with our like one common denominator here is our captain Hugo Lloris is is there a question to be asked that maybe he's not a great captain maybe he's he doesn't rally the troops in a way that we see him shouting and screaming at people like Son in documentaries and stuff but is that a bit old hat now is that what players want anymore especially when the captain's dropping clangers all the time and then he starts comes into the changing room screaming and shouting at them is that part of the problem I don't know. I think I think it's certainly worth being in the conversation because I think the thing with Hugo is he's a he's a terrific like role model. You know, other than mm. I know he's had his, his his problems in the past, but he's like a he's a he's a model pro. Um, he's um, we've seen in the documentary he can be a great talker, but I just think sometimes he just doesn't back it up in the pitch because his nerves become really really apparent, mm. and he just kind of like like sometimes he's so bad with his feet and he'll. It happened against Man United in, on Wednesday, but he did manage to turn it around. But he kicked the ball straight to a Man United player. And then suddenly the rest of the defence gets nervous. So I do, I do think, I think if we look over the last five years, who are the players that are still here and have been here the whole time? You've got Hugo Lloris, you've got Eric Dye, you've got Ben Davis, you've got Son, and you've got Kane um, off the top of my head. And they, those guys are all still in the starting eleven, And they've been in the starting eleven since the Poch days. Um, well, some of them have even been backups in the Poch days and are now starting. And you have to sort of like think that some of those players are the players that continually make mistakes. Now, I know that, I, you know, I listen to this this podcast every single week and I know we've all been big enough Eric Dyer the last few yeah. few. He's had a brilliant season, you know, but he's just starting to re, sort of re, return to that sort of, that Eric Dyer that we saw in the last few years and like the Nuno and the Jose when he's making those mistakes again. Like worryingly and, quickly, isn't it, as well? Yeah, it's kind of like he's done, he's made one mistake and then suddenly he's back to the old Eric Dyer that was making them every single week under under those managers. Um, Hugo Lloris, the same. He's made one mistake in the last few years and a uh, few weeks and suddenly that Hugo Lloris seems to be coming back. And I wonder, and I'm not, again, I don't want to be a knee jerk and say we need to get rid of all these players, but I just think maybe we just need to start rebuilding the squad um, at a higher level. And we, we're seeing signs of it slowly. Like We've added some really good players to the first 11, like Benson, Kulisewski and Romero. That's a slowly building a really, really good squad that can compete at the level we want to. But the, the, the fact is, there's a lot of players that are still here in the Pochettino that are still getting in the 11 now. And I think maybe until we sort of at least have options where we can rotate them, or, or these players be improved on them, then we're still going to see these same kind of mentality issues and same kind of mistakes. I think of those players that I just mentioned there, I think probably Harry Kane is the only one who's kind of like consistently been above the level that he we know he is, and he's always sort of performing. At, across the five years, he's continually performed at a high level, over the money had that sort of you know, eight weeks under Nuno or whatever it was. But um, I think the same mistakes are creeping in because it's the same group of players. So what do you really expect to change? See, this is a this is an interesting thing, mate. Because I was I was talking to the same anonymous pal <laughs> who uh, I, I was just referencing there, and I was saying like, and please, before you or anyone else jumps on me, I'm just again, I'm just saying this is just you know after after a game, right? We do we all have sort of not even knee jerk thoughts, just your head is all over the shop sometimes, right? Especially when it's when it's kind of a, a performance like that last night when. We were frustrated about Old Trafford away, but I think even through most of our frustrations, there's that bit, there's that internal voice that's like, it's Man United away though at the end of the day. Like, come on, like, give your head a wobble. Tottenham and many other teams just lose at United. That's one of those things. A game like this yesterday, Newcastle, it's a bit harder to do that. And you do sort of just throw around kind of shit that's just there floating about. 
And what you sort of touch on there, mate, is like one of those things where I was sort of thinking like, because yeah, I have backed Eric Dyer like to the hilt this year. I backed Ben Davies a lot, um, backed Son, Hugo, even Harry Kane in the past. But is there anything to be said that before we can really start to rebuild, before we can actually really start to actually think about a new era of Tottenham, that we probably do just need to get rid of most of these players. And dare I say, like, I mean, Harry Kane is a different conversation, but there's even some parts where I sometimes, even I personally, and I I love Harry Kane, I don't think I'm ever going to see a better player in a Tottenham shirt in my entire lifetime. But do we sometimes like live under this cloud of, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Does it create a bit of instability or anything like that, do you feel, in the team and what we're trying to achieve when we are talking about building something new? Yeah, and I think I think what we at least, at the very least, need to do is provide like proper competition for these players. Because if we take Eric Dyer in isolation, just for a second, like so he's a centre-back. He's been a brilliant centre-back. So what is his motivation at the moment? So before this season, at the beginning of the season, his motivation was probably thinking, right, I want to get back into the England squad, which he's done. He's been a brilliant mm-hmm. centre-back for us. Now he's in the England squad. He has no one in our squad that replaces him ever. He's our only centre centre back that we have. So if he has a bad game, he knows he's going to play the next game. Um, he's in the England squad at the moment. He, know, you know, so where is Eric Dyer's motivation coming from now? So it might not. It's not just about maybe getting rid of Eric Dyer and burning the whole thing to the ground. It's buying, it's buying another centre centre back. That it, if Dyer makes a mistake, you're out of the team for a game. Now you have to win your place back and stuff like that. So I just think we're on a very very slow period of rebuilding the squad. Um, and it, you know, this is how slow it's been because Pochettino talked, spoke about this like what, five, six years ago to Karolinica? It's going to be a painful rebuild. We're still undergoing that painful rebuild now, five, six years later. Hasn't happened really, has it? Most of those, a lot of the big name players are still here, really. So I mean, I just the think, most painful of it's been Delhi, right? Yeah, of course. And maybe, I suppose you know, Toby and Jan. But... And Toby and Jan. And, and that's the kind of thing which, you're, which we're seeing at the moment. The players that were backups to Toby and Jan are now starting for us like five years ago. I saw later. somebody tweet that earlier. It's, it's pretty alarming, isn't it, when you put it like that? And I'm, you know, I know that we'll. I know that you can sort of debate whether Romero has been brilliant over the last few, few games. I personally think he, um, the last couple of games he's played, he's looked as if he's getting back to his best. But he's like the only defender we've bought for a while that's anywhere sort of in the conversation with those two. Those two are such incredible defenders, two of the best centre backs the Premier League's ever seen. But five, six years later, we don't have anyone on that level. Romero's like a good step in the right direction, hopefully. But we just, you know, the fact is of these, all of these things is you have to buy quality if you want quality. Um, and we started to do it over the last couple of transfer windows. But like Conte was saying, I think straight after the game, it's going to take two, three windows to do it. Um, I just think we need to buy more quality, really, if we want to get, if we go back to the original point of this conversation, if we want to get these kind of performances out of the way. We just, it's going to take a while, but we're hopefully on the right steps. I mean, I know he's, I know, you know, he's your boy to a degree. But when you look at someone like Emerson Royale, for example, right, it, it worries me in, in respect to when we, I want to talk about Sessegnon more at length, uh, but I think our wingbacks are a, are a particular issue, right? It's, it's such an important cornerstone of what it is, a, well, it, what Mourinho wanted to do, what even Pochettino wanted to do before. We've been needing new wingbacks since Pochettino's time, really, since Danny Rose kind of went on his 
decline and we sold Kyle Walker. We didn't adequately replace either of them. And it's been the case ever since then. There's yeah, even the case that, like, you look at it yesterday, you think, have we even upgraded on Trippier? Like, genuinely, you know, it, it's it's quite stark, you know, when you think about how poor the recruitment has been in that area in particular. I think it's an interesting one in particular because, you know, Antonio Conte football is all about wing-backs. And we have four wing-backs. I wouldn't say, at the moment, any of them are playing at a particular level um, that an Antonio Conte wing-back needs to play. I think Perisic... Um, is due to his age, he's going to have ups and downs. He's a you know terrific delivery of the ball, um, great mentality, great with the ball at his feet, but he doesn't have the legs at the moment to go up and down the wing like Sessegnon does. Whereas Sessegnon doesn't have the delivery that Perisic has. So on the left hand side, we don't really have we don't have a world class fullback out of any of the four. That's that's for certain. Mm. Um, and on the right side, we have Doherty and Emerson, who are, if we're being brutally honest, neither are good enough for what we want to be. Um, they're just not. I know Doherty has sort of moulded himself into a passable wing-back for Antonio Conte's system, but you could easily upgrade all four of our wing-backs, I yeah. think. And I think until we do that, I don't think this system is going to thrive, especially, and again, this is another thing which I'm sure we'll talk about later, we really, really, really miss Dejan Kulisewski. Like, I just, and it's been made so apparent over the last few games, but without Kulisewski and without a decent wing-back, we just have nothing going forward. Like, we just have absolutely nothing. So... For me, that's got to be our priority over the next two windows, January and summer, is we need a whole new approach to our wing-backs. And hopefully um, Udoji will be a sort of good... He looks like a decent player that's going to come in. And he looks... Funny enough, our best wing-back seems to be playing for a different club at the moment, which kind of sums us up as a as a club. But, um, yeah, it's a huge area of concern is our wing-backs. I don't, I don't, at the moment, don't know if any of the four are as good as we want them to be in order to sort of challenge at the very top. I mean, Cess, to me, is probably the most disappointing out of all of that because, I don't know, so it, I'm sort of parodying myself now, but I've always sort of held on to this idea, this belief that, I guess from seeing like his, his explosive sort of start to his career at Fulham and I think just glimpses of sort of quality that he is going to suddenly just like, bang, that's it. It's going to click, as we keep saying of Tottenham at the moment. It's going to click and suddenly you're going to start to see this proper kind of performance from Ryan Sessegnon. I guess similar. I'm not saying he's gonna, he was ever going to be on the same level, but similar to how we saw with Bale. You know, a sort of stuttering start, injured, in and out of the team, and then suddenly, bang, there was just there was just a catalyst and he, he, he went off flying. And we can't compare him. Like Gareth Bale is, let's be honest, one of the greatest footballers of all time. So it's unfair to hold him to that sort of standard. But if you get what I mean, like it, I think we have been sort of all, a lot of us anyway, I would, say, I would say a large amount of Spurs fan, probably the majority, have kind of held hope in Sessegnon and given him a lot of time and given him a lot of patience. But I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get to that point where like, I don't think we're seeing enough, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think it's an interesting one. Like he's such a confidence player. I think I think if you looked at all the season overall at the moment, he's probably been the best of the four wing backs. Yeah. But the last few games, he's been really poor, and he's another one of those players. That as soon as he makes a mistake, that's it for him. He's gone for the rest of the game. Like it happened yesterday. His head really, really dropped yesterday, um, and I know he ended up getting subbed. Um, but he's another one of those players that once one thing starts to go wrong, they just like crumble under the pressure. And I don't know what it is about our players that seem that that seems to be true for quite a few of our players. As soon as we make a couple of mistakes, that's it. 
Um, but I thought he was showing some really promising signs earlier in the season. Um, and he kind of, I know Conte swapped him for Perisic in the game. And then since then, he hasn't really looked. Um, the last couple of games, I think he's been like objectively bad. Um, especially yesterday, I thought he was really poor. It's probably one of his worst games of the season. I just think like he's such a confidence player. It's difficult to manage him because um, when his head goes, that's it. His performance drops significantly. So if he's not feeling confident, then he's you know his his performance really drops. I think. I feel like he's a hundred percent going to be one of those players that will probably end up selling to Everton or Southampton or something like that. I'm literally thinking Ever- he's got like Everton all yeah. over him, hasn't he? And it'll be another like Carl Walker Peters. He'll start sort of playing quite well there, and there will be that culture war between fans of why did we sell him, and then people saying like, well, remember when he was playing for us, he didn't do that well, and other people saying, yeah, but look, he's been given a bit of time and patience, and now he's kind of. So I think I I I just believe he's going to be one of those players that's always going to polarize people. I think he's when it, when I say this stuff about him, there's a player in there and stuff. I just I think he's a, he's a he's a more than serviceable Premier League footballer, right? And it's just the hope that with his age and with the kind of appropriate nurturing that he might be able to build on that and be more than that and show us some of what we saw when he was young and at Fulham because the championship still isn't like isn't a piece of piss, you know, especially for a young player. It's a pretty physical, pretty sort of strong league. Um so, I don't know. It's just a tough one with him. I think you've got to worry about his future as well because we're, of the fact that we've signed Destiny Udoji, who yeah. is doing all the kind of things that Cessna was doing a few years ago where he's, sort of, he's going into a, quite a lot of games and either scoring or assisting, which Cessna is not doing as much at the moment. Um, I know he had, a, he had a pretty decent run. At the, I think he scored in the f- our first game of the season, didn't he? But under Fulham, what did he get? He's, like a, he's getting like 15 goals for Fulham a season, wasn't Something he? mad, yeah. Or Something at least crazy goal like that. contributions. That like Deli Ali thing of just being always in the right place, but it just seems like he's he's lost that sort of knack for scoring goals. He doesn't pick up that many assists, and if you're in an Antonio Conte system, you, that's the sort of bare minimum for a wing back. You have to be having such a huge influence on the game um, that if you don't be doing that, you're going to be replaced. And I just worry for him with the fact we're signing one of the most promising left backs in Europe. Um, so, you know, is he going to see himself as a backup left back at Tottenham, or is he going to go to someone like Everton and be their main left back again? It's kind of that's he's kind of seems to be back where he started a couple of years ago, where he wasn't really getting in the team that much. Um, and if Perisic stays for another year, which I think he's got a two-year contract, hasn't he? I think. Um, and we got three left backs again, and you wonder, you wonder what will happen with Sessegnon. I think. Are you a? Uh... Again, might be a knee-jerk opinion. Uh, I think there's enough good there but are we seeing that much great from Ivan Perisic this season because I'm sort I think of he's, yeah go on mate I think he's dipped the last few games definitely um, but I think that was always going to happen when you sign a player of that age um, and I think the problem is is we we may be at the point where we need a player we need him to play more than what he, what he physically can like because we don't have that many decent options on the left hand side, um, you know, Son's been out of form, uh, Sessegnon's sort of up and down with form. We need a player that can come in and play all the time if we're going to improve. And I don't think Perisic can like physically offer that at the moment. Mm. Um, I I don't know. I, the last couple of games have been a little bit of a disappointment, but we know how quality he is. We've seen it. We've seen his delivery, delivery. We've seen his assistant things. 
I just don't know if he's got the legs to to play for us at the moment as much as we need him to. Um, so again, yeah, it's a little bit of a worry at the moment, to be honest. It's just feels like it. I mean, one of the most important things I reckon we probably need to remember throughout all this is that this is pretty unprecedented. The sort of the turnaround in fixtures and everything at the moment to accommodate this bizarre World Cup. A lot of these players probably are knackered because I mean, like one of the big conversations is Son, right? And I think there's definitely there is definitely sort of talk to be had about the level that Son's performing at. But to me, he like he seems all right, really. I think he started the season very poorly, um, but since that sort of point, I think he's been looking a bit more like the old Son. I just think he looks he just looks knackered. Um, yeah, and again, that kind of goes back to the same discussion we were having at the beginning where. We don't, you know, we've, we have been unlucky with injuries like Richarlison and Kuliseski both getting injured is is hugely impactful on our performances, I think. But we just don't, at the moment, we don't have anyone who can replace Son. So he's ended up having to play like every single game. Um, and these players, and th- I think this is probably one of our biggest problems overall is we have our starting eleven and we're not rotating it that much. And these players are just knackered at the moment. Like we don't have someone that can come in and play with Kane up front at the moment now Richarlison's injured. Um, he doesn't seem to trust Brian Hill that much that he'd bring him on like a, a game that we need to win or anything like that. I think you're happy bring him on if we're already winning and to like um, stretch the defenders. But he's not going to replace Son with Hill if we need we need to be winning the game and we're already losing or something like that. So, and I also think like the psychology of having a World Cup in a few weeks. Like if we talk about go back to Perisic, it's going to be his last ever World Cup for Croatia. That's that's a fact. So these players must be playing knowing. A, one injury and they're done, like the World Cup's done. And we saw it with Varane at Man United the other day. Um, and I do think that must have, you know, these guys are human beings, aren't they? Like it must have. It must always be there in the back of their mind that maybe they're not going to go in for that tackle or they're not going to try and beat that player in case they do their hamstring and stuff like that. I think like the psychology of this crazy World Cup and also the demands of the schedule is just like mad. Like, I can't believe we're in this situation and who thought this was ever a good idea. And I think it's, I do think those are the kind of things which are impacting our performances as well. Yeah, it. I don't know, man. It's just it's. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because it it does feel like, even when we were sort of winning games at the start of the season, we were basically all asking, "Are we actually good or not?" I I, I can't really tell, and it is really hard to draw sort of conclusions because, the thing is, yeah, you know, I'll have a moan about it after the game and stuff, but when I sort of reflect on things a bit, I still think, well, you know top of our Champions League group we're still in the top four one would say that we're still objectively a good team in many respects but when you see sort of performances like that like that last night that are really hard to watch it's like is this just an aberration is this a bad day at the office or is this the sign of things starting to catch up with us do you know what I mean I just I think it's 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 to me it's 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 been one of the hardest times sort of the past few years really I guess post Pochettino to get a proper handle on where Spurs are and what we are because it feels like the way we were we ended last season it suddenly was like fuck right we're actually seeing now the impact of a world-class manager coming in and working with a squad of players that we've perhaps sort of dug out too much for the past few like months or past couple of years all that they needed was some proper guidance, some proper training, and they'll be back on a kind of 
even keel and we can start to sort of look ahead and think big again. Yeah, and I, I do I do think there are, if we sort of reflect on everything as a whole, there are definitely some causes for optimism. I don't want to you know spend this whole time yeah. like slagging off our players and stuff because if we look at some things which are going to go hopefully change for us. Well, firstly, yesterday we had like Romero, Hoybier, Kudusevsky, Richarlison all injured and there are three like nailed on starters there and Richarlison who has been starting quite a lot for us. Um, I think when you talk about the back end of last season, a lot of the things that were good was because of Dejan Kulisewski. Like He is that good. He's our, an incredible player for us. And I think sometimes we overthink football and think, oh, we're playing terrible. But sometimes it's just a case of we're missing one of our best players. Yeah. And when he comes back, we'll hopefully see that level of performances again from the whole team. Because he is like our glue between our creativity, our scoring threat and scoring goals himself. He does like all of those things in one amazing player. And I think he started six league games this year, which is, I think we played 12 league games. He started six of them. Um, and I think... I think I'm right in saying we've won all six that he started in and we've won three of the six which he hasn't played in. So sometimes, you know, things like that, we have Kudusevsky back in the team, I do think will improve. I think if we can sort of get to the World Cup, we've got three games left, Bournemouth, Leeds and Liverpool. You'd expect us to win at least two of those games, at least hopefully three. If You know, if we turn up against Liverpool and beat them, then I think we'll have some optimism going into the World Cup. But if we can sort of crawl our way to that World Cup still in the top four, then I think... We're nowhere near playing at the level that we can play at. And I think once that World Cup's out of the way, all of those sort of psychology things of this stupid World Cup are out of the way, I think we can really, really kick on from there. And at the moment, we're all like doom and gloom. It feels awful, but we're still third in the Premier League at the moment. Um, so I do think, that hopefully, it's a case of if we can sort of crawl our way to that World Cup, regroup, in Jan uh, regroup at the end of December or whatever it is, and then I think we can kick on again. Because if you remember this time last year, we had Nuno as manager on this day. like, And we still managed to get to the top four by the end of it. So we're already in the top three. And then we've still got half a season to go. And hopefully we'll have our players returning from injury and things like that. I do think there are still sometimes some calls to be you know, to be an optimist about these things. You, are, you know I'm a... I'm sure you know by now that I'm a bit of a Conte sceptic. Um just wanted to sort of touch on something you were saying there about Dejan Kulisevsky and his kind of impact in the tail end of that year. Is there at all a question to be to be had that maybe we haven't actually played that well under Conte, that a lot of it was down to him having Kulisevsky playing freakishly well? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think maybe, I think, you know, what, I think... It was a kind of 
a sort of mixture of all of those things is that maybe we got lucky in the fact that Kulisevsky, Kane and Son sort of instantly became a better front three than anyone ever imagined. And like in that back end of last season from that Man City game onwards, they were unbelievable every single game. And uh, we saw the best out of all three players. Um, but I do think, you know, it's one of those classic football um, philosophies, isn't it? Is that because Antonio Conte is, you know, training them and managing them to play that way? Or is it just pure luck or whatever? That's kind of, kind of interesting philosophical debate. But um, I do think that the fact that we look at the moment, we're looking like we've sort of ran out of ideas going forward. And he sort of, you know, I'm, you know, everyone knows I'm a big fan of Antonio Conte. I just question at the moment what's the ro- some of the patterns of rotation that we're going through, um, where he's sticking by some of the players that aren't playing particularly well. And we've got players on the bench that seem to, you know, just never even get a look in when people like, you know, people like Emerson Royale play every single week and they're not good enough. Um, so I think it's, I think it's very valid to have some questions about some of the decisions that he's making. But I do think he is the manager that I think will take us to the next level if we back this guy. And I think overall, if we back this guy, we're going to see a lot of success. I mean, just to be clear, I was I was being a little bit churlish. I, I do think he has improved like a lot of our players individually and stuff like that. I just but yeah. I do think you you know the questions at the moment are going to come, aren't they? Because that level of performance, like you said at the very beginning, that was a Nuno performance against both Manchester United and Newcastle. And we, if you remember last season, though, we did that against Wolves and Southampton back to back, and then we sort of timed it around and got one on a, a big run. So hopefully, it's a blip rather than a pattern. Yeah. What do, I mean in your gut, mate? Well, like, what do you, what do you actually? Because I'm sort of, I, I am always tossing this stuff about. Is it, you know, because we've sort of spoken about, does the system put too much pressure on the individuals? Does the system kind of inhibit players from being more expansive? Do you know what I mean? All this sort of various different stuff. I think, I think, like you say, like football isn't always that complicated, and I think that we. One of the main things is, and this, this, I guess this is kind of down to Conte's design, but one of the main things is that we don't really have many players that are that good or at least that explosive at progressing the ball outside of Dejan Kulisevsky because um, our wing-backs aren't very effective at doing it and our centre midfielders, I mean, Hoybier's had a great season. I think Bentancur is fantastic. I'm so delighted with him. But neither of them are a, a Christian Eriksen, a James Madison, if you like. There you go. There's a there's a prime example of somebody we've been linked with heavily. Um, but neither of them are that type of midfielder, are they? And so things are always going to look a bit sort of turgid, look a bit dour. But outside of that, like yesterday, it, it did bomb me. Yeah, Conte's touched on this in, himself, saying about like in these sort of big moments, we we shrink, we fade away. And he's not saying anything wrong there. You know, it, it doesn't trigger me as somebody that's like, you know, like I said, whatever, Conte sceptic or whatever fucking labels we want to give this shit. Um, is a, he, you know, he, I, I don't think he's saying anything incorrect there. We, we always, we've said this, you know, top of the table um, under Mourinho and we had that, we came up against Liverpool who were looking awful at that point and we still sort of buckled to them. It's just, it's hard to know kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I keep coming back to like, maybe it is Lloris. Maybe it's the captain. Ultimately, maybe, maybe his, his impact on the, on the team is much bigger than we sort of know it is. And I don't think it's fair to like make a scapegoat of somebody, but I'm, we're sort of running out of avenues to really explore for this 
this sort of inexplicable habit that Tottenham have of just kind of throwing away any sort of sign of promise that they seem to keep building, right? Yeah, and I think we're at a similar crossroads that we've been in the past. We've been there with Redknapp, we've been there with Pochettino. We're a, we're a decent side, but we need to take the next step. Um, and I think we're at a crossroads of Antonio Conte, certainly as literally as his contract runs out this year. Um, and I know he's got an option of one, but I think the, the plan is they want him to extend it. Is do we just fully back this man now to give him everything that he wants and hope that it takes us to that that sort of the next step being we want trophies and we want to really compete for the top level of the league? Or do we sort of half back him, buy a couple of players in the transfer window and just hope that he gets scrapes by? Now, that didn't happen with Redknapp and Pochettino because they weren't fully backed in the transfer windows. And as a result, a few months later, when we were, you know, a couple of years after being a really top level team, we dropped off and they were both sacked. So are we now going to sort of step forward as a club and say, right, we know that Conte needs decent wing backs. We know he needs a James Madison type player. Let's go out and spend the money. And the thing which I think really sort of brings it home for me is we've seen what happens with Arsenal. Like, they are, what they've done over the last few years is they've decided, right, let's just keep Arteta and we're going to back him every single transfer window. We're going to give him a load of money. We're going to let him buy the players he wants. We're going to let him get rid of the players that he wants. And if you think about Arteta's first few seasons at Arsenal, he was never anywhere near the top four. And Conte's first season, he finished fourth. Um, but Arsenal stuck by Arteta and they backed him. And now that this is the first time this season when they're really sort of seeing the fruits of all that. So it's the same kind of crossroads that we find ourselves over the last few years as do we now fully back a manager, like with proper spend, proper quality players coming in, or do we just sort of give him, you know, a few players and hope that he sort of drags us to the next level, or do we put our money where our mouth is and back him? And personally, I think it's an easy decision for me. I think we've got to back this guy, see where he takes us for the next three years. But you can sort of see why people are starting to question it because the performances have been poor this season overall. But I think we've seen enough from Antonio Conte, his career, from what he did last season, to know this guy is the one we need to back. Just go out there and back him and see what happens. And if that doesn't, if that fails, then we're doomed forever as a club, I think. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's tough of him, isn't it? Because he's obviously in that position where he doesn't want to commit to Spurs because he's he's worried and you can tell he's clearly worried that once we've got him locked down to a contract we're going to go back on promises or whatever and not spend and I, I understand he he kind of wants to keep the club on their toes he wants them to which keep... they did to Pochettino in some respects like yeah. they you know they they didn't back him in the transfer window enough and look what happened there in the, in the end but then on the on the flip side I sort of I do look at it from the club's perspective and I think like well you know it's hard for them to just hand over what two hundred mil or something. I think like that's the rumor, isn't it? That we've said we'll give him two hundred mil if he signs a two-year contract. And that's what you know. That's what Arsenal have given Arteta the last couple of transfer windows is two hundred million. Yeah. And look at them now; they're absolutely f- that. If we're if we're really honest about the game of football, I mean the Premier League where it is now, you need to be spending that kind of money in in the summer to have any chance of not just sort of being top four, but being something above that. Yeah. If you I mean, want to compete, you the- have to, don't you? And we're competing with, you know, the, the arguably the greatest side ever assembled in Premier League history. So that's the kind of thing that we need. And it's again, are we actually going to take the step and do it? Or are we going to sort of go from manager to manager, hoping that one day we get a miracle? Um, or are we actually going to take that step finally? It, 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 to me, I think the, the main thing it feels like, while the contract stuff is, is the way it is, is that... I'm talking about from my perspective. I'm not talking about from you know 
the club or the players. I'm not a sort of assuming how any of the players are feeling about stuff. I just think like what sort of stunts my real ability to kind of get fully on board with Conte and with everything that we're trying to do. Most of all is the fact that there's so much uncertainty as to whether or not he even seems to want to be at the club. And I get it. I understand. I completely get your perspective. And I get like a lot of people's perspectives that this is a guy that's won a lot and he, he clearly is a good manager and everything like that. I'm just like, at the moment, I can't sort of see, I can't, I can't look three, four years down the line and think that's what we're building towards with him. Something at that point. Because my, my big concern is that like he just he wants it now that he wants to be at Madrid or PSG or something like that. And it, this was the kind of stuff I was worried about before we signed him. You know, I'm not just saying this as a as a knee jerk, but I'm sure you know. You know, I've sort of said this stuff for a while about him, and I just I, I just do have this sort of it's great. Like I think the main thing is right. He needs to get the assurances. How the club do that or not, I don't know. They have spent a fair amount already with him there, so. You know, hopefully that's a start. I just want to like, I just want to believe that like this is it now, right? We're we're here. We're in a place, and we are looking three, four years down the line. We are looking at like we're not just looking at squeezing every last drop from Son and Kane. I guess the signing of Richarlison was a was a good step towards that. But you know, we've seen as linked with Ozyman from Napoli. We want to start to think of that contingency plan. There's no there's no guarantees that Kane signs a new contract. I think it's up next year, isn't it? The end of his contract. And I, and I think an interesting thing about that too is that I, I honestly believe they go very much hand in hand as well. I think if, say, for example, we finish like sixth this season and, and get rid of Conte, I don't think Kane's. Dead. I don't think. I think Kane and Conte's um, futures are both hand in hand. To be honest, like I think for me that's a, a huge factor in giving this guy Conte everything he wants. Is Harry Kane? So I just think if there's any kind of doubt, even someone. Say for example, Conte left and Pochettino came in. I don't think that's enough for Kane at this oh, point no, in time. No, definitely not. He'll go straight to Bayern Munich in the summer. I think our only chance of getting more time out of Harry Kane is if Conte signs that extension. And I just think we're at this crossroads now. It's the right time for, and I do, I include Conte in that as well. Conte has got to sign that extension. He's got to start believing that he can be the one to do this. I think we're all at a point now. Let's just go for this step. Let's sign the extension. Give Conte what he wants. Let's move forward as a club. And let's actually take this step for once. You know, let's let's go and spend some money in the transfer market. We started last summer, baby steps, had a pretty decent window overall. Um, you know, we did spend some money. That's a good first step. So now let's take the next one. Do you feel like his heart's in it though, mate? Like genuine? Because this, I think this is probably one of my biggest barriers of him. Is that I just I just don't feel, I, I get it. I think the important thing is that gets pointed out to me is what you got to remember is he is a pretty like. It's just kind of his demeanour, right? It's what he's like. He does come across as quite a dour, sort of angry man a lot of the time. So you kind of can't take too much of that on board. But I still never, I, I don't know how much I get the feeling that like he, he loves the thought of like taking Spurs on, or whether he even thinks it's possible. I don't even know if it's possible. This is the thing. This is, I, I wouldn't dig him out for saying that because I look at teams like Manchester City and that, and I do think as I've been saying over the last few pods, like what is it that we're as Spurs fans trying to enjoy out of football, you know, because the chances are that we really might not ever win a Premier League. It's not to say we won't definitely not, but there's every chance that we might not with, unless, you know, Jeff Bezos or whoever takes us over, but I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you know what I mean, mate? Do you, like, do you, do you feel that like Conte, 
is ever just kind of like just kind of keeping himself warmed up, keeping himself limber, if you like, until Madrid or Newcastle or whoever come and say, here's 500 mil, do what you can, win, piss the yeah. league and, you know. I think it's an interesting one. I think I think he'd be mad not to be, to be honest. Like, I think he'd be crazy not to be because at the moment he's at a club, if, if you believe the rumours, we're going to pay him 20 million a year, which makes him one of the very highest paid managers in the world. He's got like... One of the best stadiums in world football. He's got the potential. Everything that we sort of need to become a big club is there. Like the infrastructure-wise, we're about to hopefully sign this mega stadium rights deal. Um, you know, we're seeing all the kind of steps which you take to become an elite club. We're starting to do. So if he is the man that takes us from being a top four club to someone that wins major honours, that's going to be on his CV forever because no manager has done it under the under the. Um, you know, the last 20 years or so. No manager has ever done it at Tottenham to that level. Um, and I think he would be crazy right now. To th- well, firstly, I don't think there's any job in Europe at the moment that's particularly tempting for him because, you know, PSG are pretty much sorted at the moment. they just got gold here. It seems to be doing quite well. Real Madrid are winning absolutely everything, left, right and centre under Ancelotti. Um, Juventus and Serie A teams are just broke at the moment. They, they, he's n- never, ever going to get 20 million a year at a Serie A team in, mm. anytime soon. The only clubs... That, that are non-Premier League that could kind of match that a PSG, Real Madrid, you know, even Barcelona could, couldn't, can't currently compete with that kind of level of salary for a manager, no way. So he would be mad, I think. So as much as we talk about he's a great, great asset for Tottenham, I also think Tottenham are a great asset for him. And I think sometimes he might not look as if he says that or believes that. But I do think if he's, you know, we're a great fit for him as well because we're ready to now go and become an elite club. And I think he's got to start realising that and maybe start believing it a bit more as well. So I do think, I think he'd be crazy not to think that this is the club for him. Maybe he does like, because this is, this is part of it, right? I think we talk about assurances and stuff like that. He, he probably just does want to feel, doesn't he, that he is actually going to get I, the money and be able to, because like you say, like, you know, Arsenal are, they're probably going to, I reckon they're going to push City all the way. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, and I, I, I genuinely believe that Conte is going to sign the extension before, you know, before or around the time of the World Cup. I, I don't, I think he'd be crazy not to. Why wouldn't you? You're, you know, you're going to have a top salary. You're going to have a top. I do think we're going to back him. Um, so I do think, you know, after all these things that we, at the moment, it feels very, very doom and gloom and knee jerk and all of this kind of stuff, get rid of the whole squad and all that. But I do, I think that we're going to come out the other side of this on top. I really do. Not literally top of the league, but, you know, in a, in a decent place. Because I do, I believe that he's going to extend. I really do believe that. Do you, I wonder if like him and, him and Kane have genuinely had the conversation with one another, just to kind of off the record, are you going to stay? Well, are you going to stay? Well, I don't know. Are you going to stay? Do you know what I mean? Because there must and be was, a sort of... Imp- what was, it, was it like after the Brighton game or something? I think Ali Gold put out a, um, like a video saying that Tottenham are confident that both of them are going to do it. And I mean, we've you know we've lost two games on the bounce, and it's now the, we're all fearing the worst and things. But not you know two games isn't going to change that kind of decision, is it? So if both of those stay, both of them extend over the next few few years. I think we're in a really really good place, and it's time now to take that next step and really go for it. It's fucking annoying, is it? Do you know? I tell you what, I think is the most gutting about this shit, mate. Is you remember back in the day? I mean, what, fifteen years ago? Ten, ten, yeah, let's say ten, eleven years ago, when we were sort of 
pushing for those Champions League places under Redknapp for the first time, like properly. And then that was just kind of when City got bought out, taken over, sp- spent loads of fucking money. And it felt like we'd, we'd spent the best part of like a decade or so building to that place organically, built the team up, gone through the Yol era, come close, sort of had the sort of few missteps, Ramos and AVB and stuff like that. But we got there in the end under Redknapp. It was all suddenly flying and then obviously Man City come along. We've managed to ride that, sort of weather that storm, still kind of keep at it, keep building the club and all this sort of stuff. And now, you know, yesterday's a stark reminder of it. Fucking Newcastle have come along with this buyout. And it does <laughs> it, it, it does just give you that kind of like, it's, it's deflating, right? As When you're a sort of, when you're following a club like us, and you could probably, I mean, to be fair, like let's strip all our rivalry aside or whatever shit. You look at even Liverpool, the fact they've only won one Premier League. I know my heart bleeds to them. They've only won one and a Champions League and basically everything else. But still, they, they should have been looking back on this Klopp era, which I think is coming to, I think it's winding down now. I think Klopp's on the steady decline now. I think we can all see that. But they should have looked back on Jurgen Klopp's tenure as probably having won the Premier League three or four times or something like that. But they obviously just haven't because they've got this sort of beer moth like city that's come along. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, and that's why I think the timing's really interesting of like this next, you know, this con- this whole thing that we've been talking about the whole time. Conte this summer, this January. Let's be real; we have not got that long before Newcastle are going to turn into a sort of Man City level team. So it's now or never for us as a club. We've this is the time that we need to go and do it because if not, you know, instead of you know Man City are. Are almost impossible to finish above in the league, which is why I don't have any concerns that Arsenal are going to do it because they're just not. You know, Liverpool are an unbelievable football club, and they did it once in like five years. And one, you know, they you, to beat Man City over a season, you you can you can lose like two two games maximum, and you have to win all the others with a huge goal difference on top of that as well. And I just don't think Arsenal are going to do that. Um, but at the moment, there's one of those teams in the next few. You know, in the in the five year out outlook of the Premier League, Newcastle are probably going to end up being that level as well. Yeah. So it's now or never Tottenham. Just go out there and do it. For God's sake, man, this is it. And I think like you're saying, like if we are going to get more whatever, if I shelve my misgivings about Conte and any other feelings about anything, what you can objectively say is that we asked of a team with players like Harry Kane. Harry Kane is he's still one of the best footballers in the world. In world football, I mean, p- people sort of talk about him, his contract coming to an end, and oh, I think he'll just sign for Spurs because nobody else will have him. That to me is total bollocks. If if he runs down his contract and he's there on a free contract, I think anybody will take him. I think if Haaland or not, I think Manchester City would still take Kane on a free transfer. That's the sort of footballer we have. We're talking about a footballer that in the modern era has is going to break Jimmy Greaves's record, which seemed absolutely impossible. And it's, I guess it's always worth remembering that when you've got a player like him and you have a manager that, for whatever you want to say about the style or anything at the moment, at least who has this mentality. Because you see that, right? And you see that in every single interview. Every single player will say, Antonio Conte is just mad. Did you? I don't know if you saw the... Um, it wasn't Bonucci. It's Chiellini, I think, was saying that he... Uh, did you see he sort of let something slip? He said that Paratici gave him a call during the summer and uh, he was just like, nah, never again. I, I couldn't work with Conte again. 
kind of thing. He he was saying because he remembered the training sessions or something like that. Let me see. I'm not spreading yeah, no, misinformation. Yeah, but I remember like um, yeah, it was like you, you could kind of see it in preseason, like when he was almost sort of killing the players in Korea. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Now I didn't see that about Chiellini. Let me just. Um, I know. I I yeah. I'm spreading fake news there. Chiellini said he contacted Paratici just after he saw all the Spurs players collapsed on the pitch during preseason, just basically just, you know, having a laugh, being like, fuck, I remember when that was me, man. Like, those kids are going to get, like, a kick in from, from Conte kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what And I was. do think, like, um, that is another thing, which, again, I don't want to be doom and gloom at the moment. So that, I think that's another real cause for optimism, is that I, I think everything about the design and the way that we're playing is manufactured by Conte, like, to the letter. So I think... I honestly believe we're holding back as a football club at the moment because Conte knows after the World Cup we're going to have this all over again with this weird break. So I think our hopefully we'll start to see like the superior level levels of fitness when other teams drop off. And I think like I thought I saw Miguel Delaney talking about it in the Guardian. I think he was talking about how um, we're literally holding back on our fitness at the moment because Conte is going to prioritise the second half of the season. And if we can do that and still be in the mix of top four, which we are at the moment with three games to go before the World Cup. Then hopefully we'll kick on, you know, next phase of the season, and our sort of f- superior fitness levels will really, really sort of as they did at the end of last season, will really see us home again. I think the other thing as well, right, is everyone's talking about like, and yeah, rightly so, with uh, Norway not being in the World Cup, saying Haaland's going to get a rest and all that type of stuff. If we just look at this selfishly, Kulusevski, yeah, Sweden aren't in the World Cup either. Kulusevski, we've already spoken about how important he is to our team. We've seen the impact he had on our team last year. He might be injured now. He might not be back until after the World Cup. But as Conte himself has said, this is a wild season. You know, this is like two different seasons in one. So if we're starting next season with a fit and firing Kulusevski, who's been able to rest for the past month, get back up to sort of match, maybe not match fitness, but at least kind of, or match sharpness, I should say. But he's he's at, you know he's definitely fitter now then that's definitely massive cause for optimism for us in, in terms of closing out the season, and, right? And I was I was actually talking to um, our mutual friend Charlie about this this morning, actually. is that If you look at the players that are not going to the World Cup, like Kulisevsky, who needs literally just the time to come back to fitness, if you look at the other players that are not at the World Cup, you've got Emerson Royale, you've got Lucas Moore, you've got Brian Hill, um, you've got Spence, you've got Sessegnon. These are the players that at the, at the moment need the most coaching. So hopefully they've almost got like another Antonio Conte preseason while the rest of the team are at the World Cup. And I think there's you know there's talk of him. I think he's going to take them. Um, he's going to take them away somewhere warm weather to have like a little training camp. And again, I think we that we really sort of need that at the moment because those players that are staying behind are our lowest performing players. And I think they need a, that sort of coaching from. Let's be honest with Antonio Conte. He's a world class coach. He improves players. He's yeah. one of the best player improvers in the in the world at the moment so again it's another thing which hopefully could see us improve and after the world cup do you think is do you reckon Royal won't go to world cup then emerson uh, i doubt i doubt it to be honest like you know as much as i pretend to you know hype up this guy he's just a, he's a pub player <laughs> <isn't> he? <laughs> honest, man, like, uh, the mask will slip for a second there i know you're, you're going to be breaking hearts here man like Interesting though, yesterday wasn't it that he played right centre back for a little bit? That was the sort yeah. of ball I didn't see coming. I've because I know there's been talk of him playing in that position. I and to be honest, I didn't think he was atrocious yesterday. I don't think he was one of our worst performers. I thought he was all right, mostly. But um, nah, he's not. He's just not good enough, is he? But you know, the the thing about Emerson Royale is he's six months older than Jed Spence. 
which is mind that's that blows mad, my mind it? every time I hear it. And we sort of talk about Spence as this young prospect. Emerson Royale is only twenty three himself. Like there's a lot to improve there. There's a lot of time to improve there and get better. So you know, who knows? I haven't fully written him off yet. Did you see one of those like tin pot wannabe um what's his name? who what's his that fucking Italian journal, here we go. What's he called? Oh, uh, Romano. Romano. Do you see one of the some other Italian journal yesterday was saying that like we're gonna we're preparing a shock bid for Bastoni in January and all that sort of stuff, which I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't be against that. I don't know how well he's played or not this year, but I can't. Yeah, I think, I think from, from what I gather, I think he's had a sort of mixed season, um, which is maybe it'll be time for both. Um, you know, it could be a good time for both to move on if he sort of will probably end up having to pay like in, maybe into could do of the 90 million. If he's not the centre back, he was the last couple of years. So maybe it's a good time for everyone to move, but, I do have kind of hopes we need to sort of improve our defence in January big time, don't we? Yeah, I mean, because this is... I don't know. It's Dyer's just worrying me, man. Do you know what I mean? This is the thing. And I feel like such a traitor. I feel like such a traitor because I've been backing him. But then all of a sudden, it's just like... You know, you know what's that saying? You know, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. <laughs> and like seeing Eric Dyer these past couple of games, I'm just suddenly like... Oh. And I don't even think it's a slight on him. He's just got no rotation whatsoever. Like, no. There's no one to come in. So just buy someone. That, and I think we missed a real trick in buying, um, not buying Kim and Jay, who's been unbelievable for Napoli. I think it was like 8 million. And he would be the perfect, he would have been the perfect sign in there. But, did, did you no, see that other ITK that was saying like uh, Spurs have, Spurs have in private admitted to Son that they were wrong for not signing him? Like, <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in what world did that happen? Like, do you think Levy like called him into his office and was just like, I'm very sorry. Very sorry, Hummin. Um we yeah, it seems a bit, like, a bit like racist that we're dragging him into the office to tell him sorry for like not signing another South Korean, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, oh, great. I'd, I'd never heard of him, to be honest. But, like, you know. Um, oh, mate. It's been an interesting one. You were... Uh, first fuck the football. You went to watch Halloween. I saw you tweet saying you went to watch Halloween Kills after, uh, <laughs> after, the, after the game yesterday. Did that cheer you up? Well, after watching 90 minutes of that, it was definitely like not on a level of that scary. But um, I think, you know, interesting because we've been friends for you know, a long, long time now. But and we obviously met through Tottenham. But our kind of, the, the thing which drew, I don't know if you remember back in the day, the thing which drew us together was like our love of Dexter. Yeah. That's how we be, became like close friends is like by talking about Dexter every week. And like my coping mechanism is when Tottenham are bad is I try and sort of pretend that I go, I like throw myself into my other interests. Like I'll, like yesterday, I've watched three films since we lost in Newcastle. I'm trying to pretend that if I, you know, I'm in, I'm into films more than I'm into football, which of course is not true. Like it's a distraction for like 90 minutes, but then as soon as that 90 minutes is up, it's like, oh shit, we lost. And I've got that sort of eaten away at me for the rest of the week. But um, yeah, my sort of coping mechanism with Tottenham is if, if we have a bad result, I'll try and like surround myself in films. So I watch Halloween Ends, which it's actually all right to be fair. I think it's like the best one of the trilogy. Um, but I love that in our little WhatsApp, you know, between me and you and WhatsApp, we just pretty much just spend all day talking about the films that we've just seen. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm hopefully gonna watch a film called The Feast. I think it's called The Feast. So it's, it's weirdly, it's like it's a Welsh film um, about I, I don't know. I think it's about some sort of elite people that live in the in the valleys in like some big house, but they. I'm guessing they like eat their servants or something weird like that. I'm not 100% what it's about. I try not to read too much about films nowadays. I don't know if you find this as well with trailers. 
you watch a trailer and you're just like, I kind of feel like I've watched the... I don't, a prime example of this, right? Um, and I guess we know we know the story because it's based on real-world events and stuff like that. But have you seen the new film coming out about Harvey Weinstein? Um, it's got like Carrie Mulligan and stuff like yeah, that in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But when you see the trailer, it feels like you've got all the actual beats of the entire film. It's like you're watching a, a minor version, a small version of like the entire film. And I find they do that... A, a hell of a lot more with trailers now. Like, nope. I thought they all the sort of the early burn trailers were like, oh, this is cool. This is really mysterious. I don't really know what's going on here. But then when you saw the trailer that came out just before the film was released, they suddenly showed you so much of like what was happening later on in the film, and it completely yeah, and like I, destroyed a lot of the mystique. I th- I think like the idea of nope was much better than the film itself. I preferred it when I didn't know anything about it. Like there was kind of like Jordan Peele's new film that no one actually knows what about. I thought that was, I would have loved to have just gone into the cinema and seen it as not having an absolute clue what it was about. But it's kind of like this sort of social media thing where you have to sort of see these trailers. And then what, what's the interesting thing now is not, there's not just a trailer now, there's a breakdown of the trailer where someone on YouTube will break down <laughs> every single frame of the trailer and sort of look for clues. And I, I, I'm sadly obsessive with like stuff like Marvel that I end up watching those. And then by the time the actual film comes along, there's no surprises anymore because everyone's sort of assume that it was going to happen and guess it was going to happen from the comics and all that kind of stuff. It's a weird thing, but it's interesting that you, you mentioned the, the feast because at the moment, I know we're both big fans. I feel like horror at the moment is like the best genre going. Like all the sort of best films that are being made are horror films. Smile was great, wasn't it? And there's a film coming out on Friday called Barbarian, which is supposed to be like mentally good, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, Smile is really good. There's like all the sort of like indie horrors that get made on like Shudder that are really good. I definitely think it's like the most exciting genre at the moment. I feel like half the horror films in the world at the moment seem to be set in like an Airbnb or something. Or yeah, man. I... In a house for the weekend and something goes horrifically wrong. Wait, wait. I watched a Danish one the other day called um, Speak No Evil, which is just about these two families that go on holiday together, which is the, probably the most fucked up film I've seen this year. That's really? That's, a, that's another Shudder film. And uh, that's really good. But everything, everything seems to be taking place in Airbnbs, which makes me never want to go for a weekend away ever again. Which is the film that's on, I think it's an Amazon Prime one that's set in like an Airbnb, but the guy is like, Basically, it's like the killer is renting an Airbnb, but then subletting the Airbnb and doing like all sort of. Yeah, I have I have seen it, but I can't remember the name of it. And there's there's I like the it was one really good that one actually. There's I've... one. There's was it like the Nest with Jude Law as well that was set in some kind of Airbnb and like like bodies, bodies, everything just sort of starts the and the that film that we both like called like, I, my my friends hate me or whatever it's called. Oh, everything that was brilliant. Sort of, yeah, you told me about that one. So everything just sort of starts with friends going away for the weekend. So. I don't think anyone should ever go away for the weekend anymore. Yeah, just stay at home. Just that's it. Um, all right, Bill. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming on, mate. And uh, should we? We should probably write something again soon, shouldn't we? Yeah, Maybe man. Let's get the Spurs wipe. Let's get the band back together. Because you know, I feel like I genuinely believe that you know when the, this this sort of era, when it's sort of doom and gloom and the ninja, I think that's when we're sort of most. That's when I feel like we most need to do stuff together because just pe- you, if you can't laugh at yourself when you're in these kind of situations, then what's the point of even being a Spurs fan? So, yeah, let's get the old band back together, man. It's the most galvanising stuff. Do you know, do you know the thing I, I often... Here's, here's one of those for, for anyone listening that's still listening that's interested. Do you know it's mad, Bill? If you think probably about five, six years ago, we literally... We basically wrote a pilot for, like, Ted Lasso and then Ted Lasso got made, didn't it? And we were like, oh, Yeah, I was, I, <laughs> I've seen... There's something else as well. I've seen, like... There's like um, there's like another mockumentary about a football team coming up, which is again we sort of wrote that back in the day. So yeah, let's let's get back into it. Let's get if, let's get 
piggyback this Ted Lasso hype. If there's right, if there's any producers listening, right, Bill and I's this is this is the elevator pitch. A group of influencers get enough money, they build enough of a platform that they manage to buy a non-league club and they try and bankroll the club with basically kind of cash donations from their million strong audience and hilarity, basically, hilarity ensues. We basically foretold the Wrexham story, didn't we? Is what we yeah, did. Yeah, there you go. That's it. So <laughs> like five years ago. If Ryan I, Reynolds, if you let's make a like a fictional version of the Wrexham story, Ryan Reynolds can back it, we'll be sorted. Exactly. Or if anyone yeah, anyone listening wants to sort of, you know, if you work for Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that, give us some money and uh, we'll 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 make something for you. It'll be good. Promise. Ring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hold up. 